is this evening is Matthew chapter 9. We had two different readings. The last week was the Samaritan. Jesus met with a Samaritan woman where he would have had most Jewish people had some bias because of not only their ethnicity, but there was a little bit of bias because of their religion and the way that they followed. Here Jesus calls one of his disciples, Matthew, the tax collector, and he would have been known as kind of a traitor because he worked for the Roman government. And so now here is someone, they're under the oppression of the Roman government. He worked for the Roman government, and on top of that, he was known for grafting or stealing in a way. So their pay was determined by, uh, they would say, I need $1,000 from all of these people, and then I could go as a tax collector and tell you whatever amount I wanted, and I got to keep whatever was extra. That's why the tax collectors were so wealthy and so hated in that society. And now you have Matthew, a tax collector, called by Jesus. As Jesus went out, uh, went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. This is the word of our Lord. Getting used to the pace of this. The sermon this morning, or this evening, is uh, our last of our series. So I'm going to grab my clicker. Uh, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is the last of our series. We're going to do one, and then that became two, and then that became three, because I did it last week, and I was about done, to be honest. I was tired and uh, getting phone calls, not tons, but also getting text messages, mostly encouraging articles I'm supposed to read and shows I'm supposed to watch and YouTube videos I'm supposed to view. And all of this is coming down to the complex issue. As my friend said, it's, it's nuanced. It's very complicated in where are we coming from. And so last uh, week, we kind of jumped from the beginning of race. So I'll just summarize a bit of this. I'm going to skip past this part. All people are created by God. This is a big deal. And, and what we mean by that is that we're not, and I, I tried to show it with computers last week. I don't think I did a great job because someone asked me, like, what did the computers have to do with anything? And so what I was trying to demonstrate, I didn't have this slide on Thursday evening last week. So what I was trying to demonstrate was that we're not like guardians of the galaxy with all kinds of species in a spaceship. We're not like on some fantasy novel and there's like 10 species and we all have different attributes and we try and fight about which one's the best or who can defend a spell or whatever it is, who's stronger. Usually when they have this, there's one that's really strong and there's one that's really quick and there's one that somehow knows ninja moves. I mean, they, they're all pretty predictable if you ever see or play video games. That's not how the human race is. We're from Adam and Eve one race, one people, and that's pretty essential. On top of that, God created us in his image, and I think that a nicer way to put that is that we're imagers of God. God said, I created you as human beings, and my intent is that you image to the world, you image how I would show love and how I would show justice and how I would show concern. And since Jesus ascended into heaven, like you're it. And so we, we just talked about that last night in Bible class, that we're, we're, we're dealing with this. And there's a little bit of an intimidation factor involved with that. There's a little bit of conflict internally to know, like, Jesus is gone. There's no default. It's, it's you. And you're the one that the world is going to discover who Jesus is and how God functions. And they're going to watch that through you because Jesus no longer walks on this planet. 
you're unique. Uh, God made us unique. We're not all the same, and I think that's worthwhile, and I think that's something to be celebrated in some senses. We have men and women. We have different tones of our skin. We've got different voice inflections. Every one of us is unique, and that is not the reason why, but because of all of this, we're incalculably valuable because God wants to have a relationship with us. God at some point said this, that you are worth sending my son to a cross to die so that your sins can be forgiven and you can live with me forever. That's pretty valuable. And I think you look around things in your house, there's thing, um, someone just shared a tablecloth that has sentimental value to them. Why is it such a big deal and why do they want to get it back? It's not the value itself of the tablecloth. There's, there's something to it. And what are you willing to do? I would guess you're willing to drive quite a ways. And it's been in the back of your mind to get this tablecloth back so that it's not lost because all the memories connected with that. God kind of says the same thing with you. I want every single human being, not just some, I want every single human being. That's how he says God wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And the carriers of that knowledge are you. Like, you're it. And, and I'm it. Like, it's our job now to try and bring this to the world. So right when this all started, when I was kicking around, I was on a bike ride with someone. I said, hey, I think I'm going to talk about racism. This is about three weeks ago. And they gave me zero encouragement whatsoever and just kind of looked at me like, huh, that's interesting. And I said, okay, <laughs> thanks. Thanks for the pump-up speech. And I said, well, biblically, though, it's really pretty simple. So biblically, is racism very difficult? I don't think so. There are issues that are difficult. There are issues in the Bible that are challenging that we would kind of spend and we'd be pouring over and I'd say, okay, this connects to this section. If I'm going to talk about the descent into hell, we've got to go to like three different spots. If I'm going to talk about like just about anything, angels even, there's not like one spot that says, here's angels. You have to look at like three, four different places. Racism is pretty straightforward. We're one race and God says, I love all people. I want you to love like me. Put on the image of Christ and love people like I love people. So where's there the problem? Like this seems like it should be so simple. Where's there a problem? And I think when we talk about some of the struggles that we have, and one of the things that we hit on last week and I'm going to hit is because whenever we have pe people in positions of power and whenever positions of that they can lord something over somebody else, there's going to be abuse. So we talked about as a Christian, we're going to be against certain things. So I gave this chart. I don't think there's anything too insightful about it other than for most of my life, I would say I was proud of the fact that I was not a racist rather than moving into anti-racist. So as a Christian, where does that sit when we talk about any kind of abuses? We'd say we're anti-abortion. And for example, there's six, almost 60 million babies that have died since 1973, Roe versus Wade, in the United States, 60 million. So and, and put that in perspective. You talk about we're against domestic violence. So when they talk about a significant other giving physical abuse to someone, the stat says every minute there are 20 people who are injured in some way. 20. So that's 10 million people a year who are suffering some kind of physical violence. And most of the time it is a man against his wife, but sometimes it's a man against his kids. And sometimes it's a wife, it's a woman against, if you work with kids, it's a woman against their kids, which is, it's hard to believe. Even biblically it says that. Who could, could a woman, uh, could a mother forget their daughter or their son if they're breast? And it says no, but the Lord will never forget you, right? So this is some of the things that we struggle with. We're against uh, a, a physical abuse or sexual abuse. When you talk about the stats with that, it says one in three girls, if you think about our congregation, the size of our congregation, is going to go through life and are going to experience some kind of sexual abuse, one in three. So what are we? We're anti that. We're anti-domestic abuse. We're anti-abortion. We're anti-sex trafficking. They say as many as 50,000 girls. And we don't know that for sure because they can't quite track it, but... 
they say up to 50,000 girls are trafficked into the United States through legal means. So they bring them in as au pairs or something like that, and somehow this has led to trafficking. When they talk about it, we're anti just abuse and people being in a, in a difficult situation, 100 to 300,000 kids every day are in a position where they could, uh, they're vulnerable, and people who are looking for vulnerable kids, they fit that demographic. We're against all those things as a Christian. And so this is really one of the things that some people found helpful, just moving from racism, maybe because we don't see it as, uh, you know when you watch the videos and it says like pirating is not a victimless crime and you're watching that on TV and, and it's kind of this strange, it's, uh, I never thought of it that way, but that's when Napster and all these other things were coming out and they're saying you could steal videos and you could stream them and you can use things like, what's the one, BitTorrent or something like that, I think it's called. People steal this stuff. They're saying, hey, someone is affected by your stealing. This is a big deal. I wonder on some level, and this is just a short aside, that you can always see the victim of abortion, right, the unborn. You can see the victim of domestic abuse. You can see the victim of sexual abuse. Maybe we don't see it so much when we talk about racism because we don't necessarily see it with our eyes and we don't think of a specific person who is affected by that. But moving forward, we say, as all injustices, we're against that. So if this is all pretty straightforward, it's all biblical, we'd all say, yeah, we're going to be against all this. Why is it so difficult? I think this is the thing that I wrestled with the most and to say, like, why is it so? So we're going to go through a couple things. Racism is really simple, except people are kind of the worst. Not just kind of the worst, people are the worst. Your default mode, like when you reset a phone, right? Is it, have you ever added apps or something to your phone or your computer? This happens. Apple makes your computer lag every two years somehow, and so it's basically useless. It goes from great until it's done. And, and so this has happened to you. You're doing something. What do you do? You do this clean reset, and the clean reset is as fast as your computer is ever going to get. It's as good as it gets. I mean, if you clean reset your phone, it's as good as it's ever going to get without loading up the storage and all this other thing. The clean reset for a human being means all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Like every single human is sinful. And I think this is a key, key thing, and we're going to spend a little bit of time here, and, I, and this is not meant to have any kind of political leanings whatsoever, other than um, understanding that th in general, I think we have a nation of people that looks at the human soul. So it's biblical view versus what uh, society sees things. They look at people and say people are generally good. People will do the right thing. People are nice. You just let them go, and, and they're going to all hang out and do the right thing. Have you found that to be true? I use the example of, like, sharing a condo with some couples. Have you ever done that? I mean, th we live in an area where you can go up to the mountains. Not many people own a condo. But before you share a condo with a couple, I, I'd say it this way. What is the guarantee to make this the worst experience of your life is if someone goes, ah, don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. Do not go on that condo trip. What you have to do is be the dork that says, okay, what are you kind of thinking? Like, who's going to stay in what room if we stay there? What are we going to do to divide the costs? What are we doing about meals? How is it, what are we doing about transportation? What's expect are we going to hang out every night? Like, this is all involved. What time do you go to bed? Do you get up early, right? It, do you want to exercise or just want to hang out? Like, all this is, sounds really dorky, but at the end of the day, expectations are laid out. And if you say, hey, I agree to that, you agree to that, we're going to have a good time. This may have happened to me just a couple years ago. A friend of mine has a condo in Keystone. So I said, hey, can a few of my friends come and ski for a couple days? He said, sure. So my friend flies in. Two of our friends fly in. We pick them up from the airport. We secure the condo. We pick them up from the airport. We drive them to the, the condo. 
and we're all ready. And this is his real comment from an adult. You guys didn't buy us any groceries? I look at the other guy, I'm like, what? And he goes, well, yeah, because I had to pay more to fly here, and you have a pass, so it's cheaper for you to ski. Like, I thought you were going to buy the, the food. I'm like, you're an adult. Like, what are you talking about? And, like, I'm looking for, conf you know, from the other guy, the guy's like, yeah, we can handle our own food. Like, I think we're good here. So what did that lead to? This is a Christian who is my friend and a good friend that came to the most ridiculous conclusion of all time that would have ruined the whole trip. Like, I was ready to walk out rather than buy this guy one single donut, right? Like, that is not how this is going to go. And so where am I getting at? You can't just take people, put them together, and think things are going to be okay. Our default as human beings is, I even among Christians, is selfish, and our default it is to do the wrong thing. Our default thing is to lie or to seek our own advantage. This is the reality of it. And sometimes we've just gotten better at hiding it. And, and when you meet someone, you're like, wow, they're a super nice person. They, they've just gotten better at hiding it. It doesn't mean that they still don't have these feelings. And you can see that as also in a small child. I mean, a small child does not hide it well. When you say, hey, we're going to go to Costco, and they say, that's stupid. And your spouse says, sure, I'll go to Costco with you, right? They might be thinking the exact same thing. They just get better at it. And so the default is sin. And so now we have human beings who are sinful interacting with other human beings who are sinful, which leads to this. It would be really simple not to be racist, except, and struggle with this, except people are the worst, and their default is sinfulness, and we have experiences past, present, and current with people. If you've lived on this planet, you have some experience with people who are white, you have some experience with people who are black, you have some experience with people who are Indian, you have some experience with American Indians, you have some experience with Asian people, you have people uh, Samoan and Hawaiian. It just depends how long you've lived and how much you've traveled. You have experiences with people. And you tap that, you have some experience with men, you have some experiences with women, you have some experiences with kids. Even when we talk about orientation, you have some experience with people who are straight, people who are trans, people who are transitioning. You've had some experience with people who are gay, right? This, this is part of life. You function and you deal with people. So now we have part one, people are sinful. Part two, you deal and interact with people. And your experience greatly determines your interactions and how you view people because we naturally put them into categories. And you say, no, 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 I don't do that. You absolutely do to function in this world because it's not all negative. I'll give you an example. Uh, my parents, grandparents are from South Dakota, and my truck, my favorite truck, which I parked right in the front, is from South Dakota. To a person, in my experiences at three different churches where there's people from South Dakota, to a person, they are some of my favorite people in the world. I have not met a single one that I said, eh, not a single one. I worked at a church in Thornton. Some of our favorite people that invited us over were the nicest to us and gave hugs. South Dakota. They still call us and still send us a Christmas card. I go to Washington. The guy who helped me the most, I'm like 20 and don't know how to fix anything, who'd hang around and putz around and fix things and was the nicest human ever that still sends us Christmas cards and still stopped by here, South Dakota. You can look around and I'm going to bear some people. No one here that I know of is from South Dakota. Maybe you are. But don't ruin it because we probably have four or five families here and every single one is just awesome. Hardworking, they love their family, they're loyal, they go back to South Dakota to visit their family even though if you've ever been there, 
that's a thing in itself just to go there. And then they're also, they, they love and they're loyal to their friends. That's an awesome thing. So that's a positive thing. Are there experiences that you've had with people that have given you a negative experience? Sure. There's experiences that you've had that may have given you a negative experience with people who are white or black or Asian or Latino or men or women. And this gets complex a little bit because we have different jobs. Sometimes you talk to someone and they say, well, I work with a multi, uh, you know, I work with a, a very ethnically diverse office. That's good, right? Or they say, I've worked at a school and there was ethnically diverse, all the kids, there was black kids and there was Asian kids and there was Latinos and there was uh, maybe, um, you go somewhere and there's many kids from like Hawaii or something like that. This is a big deal, right? You could say, I worked on a panel and there's people from all kinds of different ethnicities. Someone could say, I'm a police officer and I work with people from all different ethnicities. So let's, let's get down to what this means. It is really good that you work with different ethnicities, but you all have different jobs. Would we say the job experience, even if the ethnic diversity is the exact same, let's say it's 30, 30, wait, 30, 30, 30, and 10? There you go, <laughs> there you go. 30, 30, 30, and 10, right? You have this ethnic diverse situation. They say, I don't know why, I'm not racist. I don't know how you could be racist. I don't know how you could have any bad thoughts about them. Could we say that there's a difference between working with first graders that are learning how to read and working with the first graders who eventually grew up and now you're the vice principal in charge of discipline at a large high school? Do you think you'd have a different view of kids? I think the answer is yes. Do you think you'd have a different view of kids if you work in a very ethnically diverse situation and you're on a panel that is trying to cure cancer versus you work in a very ethnically diverse inner city as a police officer? Yeah. The one person could say, you know what, I work with people of all different ethnicities and I have just a fantastic experience. The other person could say, I work with people of all different ethnicities and my job is terrible. Because one is working with people who have worked hard and are trying to recognize and play within the rules of society, right? It's like going to a condo. We're in a giant condo here on the earth. And some have said we're going to try and follow the rules and have expectations and follow those expectations. And some, as a job, have to struggle because they're working with people in general who are not following the rules, in general, are the ones that are causing issues, in general, that are causing all the kinds of problems. And so this can be across all different ethnicities, all different genders, all different whatever, your job matters. So now you have three things stacked up. One is people are, default is sinful. All of us have past and current experiences which are positive and negative. So your experiences, let's just highlight that one more time. My experiences as someone who grew up in the Midwest is gonna be different with diversity than it is with someone who grows up in New Orleans. Someone called me up, they grew up in the South. Their experience is very different as they got bullied, kind of reverse bullying. They say, wow, all this um, racism against black people, it's black people against a white person. Or you talk about someone who grew up in Fargo, North Dakota. You're just simply going to experience by the nature of your job, not only different things, but also different people. So let's just hit that again. Because the more exposure to have someone, the easier it is to have some kind of idea about who that group of people is. If you're a farmer in the Midwest that grows corn, do you think you're gonna have the same exposure to gender fluidity as you would if you worked on Broadway? You work as an engineer. We have engineers here. Do you work with more men or women? Men, 
right? It's, it's an anomaly, I would guess, if a woman, woman goes there. You go to School of Mines, it's like 10 to 1. This is a school of engineering, 10 men to one woman, right? That's it. That's, that's the, now you work in an elementary school. I worked at an elementary school, and I not quite volunteer, but I work and I teach Latin. I go to the annual meeting. So this is like the pump-up speech to get us all on the same page, and this is going to be fantastic. I look around. There's 80 employees, and I think four of us at that time were guys. And at the break, we made our way to the table closest to the buffet line and like, oh, so glad to sit on your table as people were doing these sharing exercises. I may have left after lunch in two plates, <laughs> right? So you, you can all, this is your experience. And so now you couple all this together. And I think maybe this is the hardest part. Every demographic, it does not matter which one. It doesn't matter which class, rich people, poor people, it doesn't matter ethnicity, it does not matter gender or orientation, has awful people. And so now we're called to go into a world, right? Racism's really easy. Love all people the same. This is good. This only works if you have no memory. And you literally can't remember anything and you go into each situation fresh and you would say, okay, I'm going to try and love this person like Christ because in the back of your mind is a sinful person you carry the baggage that comes with previous interactions. You say, that's utterly ridiculous. Um, how many of you are married? You look here, at, and tonight, everybody happens to be married except the kids. Except the kids. So everyone here is married. Tell me that you don't come into every conversation with some kind of baggage from the previous conversation. They did a study when they talked about that, that common thing, that a compliment versus an insult. And they said that the primary way to do that is, I think it was seven to one, seven compliments to one insult or critical statement. I said, okay, that's the primary one, like if someone's keeping track. In marriages that got divorced, there was generally four critical statements to three positive statements. Some of you are doing some math in your head. That's not good, right? Like this, it, you, let's just try and keep it towards the positive end. So even in a marriage, every interaction that you have is like bringing some of this weight into it. So as Christians, how do we move forward? As we talk about steps and what does this look like? It gets even worse, actually, because it's not just your simple interactions at the grocery store. It's not just someone who's maybe breaking the rules or not breaking the rules. What happens if someone from a specific demographic or ethnicity, one of these really, truly awful people, brings trauma in your life? Then what? Like, how do you come with fresh eyes at that point? If you have someone, uh, the girl of your dreams humiliates you on the school bus and everyone still laughs about it. Uh, someone actually spits in your face. Someone calls you a name that makes you feel so low that you can never quite forget it, right? It doesn't take them. What happens, do you think that anyone who has been abused by a Catholic priest could ever look at me as someone who handles God's word the same? I'd say no. Do you think they could look at if a coach has abused someone, if we're hearing all these scandals in the gymnastics world, can they look at a coach the same? I don't think so. Can you look at someone who bullied you in school the same? And when you're talking about ethnicities, this is one of the clearest indicators of someone attached to a bigger group. You can't tell what state I'm from, but you can tell what ethnicity I am. And so now when real trauma happens, when you talk about what we've said before, some of the sexual abuse that happens at the hands of someone, a man, do they ever look at men the same? I don't think they do. Can you look at someone the same if a police officer who's supposed to bring safety to your life 
makes you feel terrified and maybe has hurt one of your friends? Maybe not. Can you look at someone the same when you're a police officer called to bring peace to someone and that same someone of a different ethnicity shot and kills your partner? Tell me you can look with Christ's eyes and just say no big deal every single time you interact with someone. I mean, just we're good, right? Racism, God says love people, I'm gonna love people, that's what he says. When in fact everyone is sinful and you're dealing with sinful people, when in fact you have good and bad interactions with people, when in fact some of our jobs involve dealing with, you could say, the most difficult situations in all of these demographics, when in fact there are some truly awful people and truly awful people that have hurt you. When it gets down to it, it's not so simple. Uh, when it gets down to it, I think we have to say that this is a sin and grace thing. We have to recognize their sinfulness, their sinfulness in our own heart. And the only way that we move forward is grace. To that end, words matter. And when the Bible talks about words, and I know, so know this sounds like a simple thing, but most of us, when we're talking racism, it's not necessarily our actions, but it's going into a situation, how we talk to people and about people. The Bible is very clear. It says an unfriendly person pursues selfish ends and against all sound judgment starts quarrels. Words of the reckless pierce so like swords. The tongue of the wise brings healing. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Before we get ready to say anything about anyone, to, to move forward in relationships, to look at people with fresh eyes as Christ did, and you think about as he walked with prostitutes and he walked with sinners and he walked with people with uh, people of ill repute. But I think there's four things you could kind of filter your words through. Number one, is what I'm about to say true? Now just think about something really easy. We're not just talking about an ethnicity. We're not talking about a group of people. Just think about something that you are about to say to someone you care about. We use the example of your spouse. You're going to sit down in your marriage and you want to say something. Is it actually true? Is it rumor? Is it conjecture? Is what I'm about to say helpful? There's plenty of things we could say that are true that are not helpful. Plenty of things you can say. And some people are remarkably good at them. And teens especially, as my teens have gotten older, I found it very useful, right? They, they can say something that's true, but and I have to say, is this helpful to what we're trying to do? Is what I'm about to say personal? And I think this is, we're not going to talk forever on the internet and just maybe just a brief, a brief thing, but the, the, I don't even know what the proper term would be, the extra personal nature of internet that allows people to just send and we come up with words like trolling because someone from a distance can do something hurtful. They can say something true. They can say something that might be helpful but is it personal? And is that the place you're supposed to have that conversation? Is it the place I'm supposed to have a conversation with my spouse here at church? Or is it supposed to be with my spouse at home? Am I supposed to have a conversation with my kids so all our friends hear something? Or is it supposed to be a conversation they have uh, personally? And what am I about to say is loving? To finish the series, we have two final thoughts. Colossians 3, we talked about being imagers of God. And we've put on a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in Christ Jesus, right? This is the image of our creator. You are the only people who get to go out into this world and we get to shine and let people see a light of what it looks like to have a place. Like there is a place where it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. There is a place where it doesn't matter if you're black or white. There is a place that it doesn't matter your ethnicity. There is a place in the world you can go and it doesn't matter what you've done in the past. 
and he calls the church. It doesn't matter what you've done, and maybe you were one involved in abortion. Maybe you're one that was involved in uh, looking at things you shouldn't have looked at. Maybe you're involved in racist jokes. Maybe just last week you said and did things that you shouldn't have said. Maybe this morning. But here's a place where you can bring this all before God, and God sees everything into your heart. And when you say the world is full of awful people, they're the worst that include themselves. And Jesus still says, I want you to be here, and I want a relationship with you. I say the past doesn't matter, but that's not quite true. If you think back 2,000 years ago on a cross in Calvary, Jesus went to and died. 2,000 years ago, he took your sins and put them on himself. 2,000 years ago, the past, if any place you could say at the church, maybe matters the most. You get a chance to step forward and get to talk to people. You get a chance to step forward and talk about issues. You get a chance to step forward to recognize the racism that struggles in your own heart. John Piper, a smart pastor, he's out of Minnesota, pretty famous, but he said, the Christian worldview both explains racism and undermines it, and I think that's maybe our steps forward, which is saying, hopefully during the sermon, maybe the most depressing points of all time that says it's pretty difficult not to be racist and to recognize that. Uh, but also, we're the only ones with a message. We're the only people that have a message that go into the world and to be able to share something that says, through Christ, we can put on the image of God and we can get past our past experiences. We can get past the people who are so difficult. We can get past our jobs that maybe only sees the ugliness in people and we can get to a point and we can get past the terrible people that are in every kind of demographic and we can find ourselves the heart to forgive and to love as Christ has loved. There's a phrase that says sometimes the hardest people to love are the ones who need it the most and I'm thankful that God saw my heart and loved me the most and the same thing that God sees your heart and he doesn't see your outside, but he loves you anyway. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're so thankful for the opportunity that we have to be imagers of your truth. We get to step forward in confidence, knowing that we are forgiven. We get to step forward knowing that we get to be a light that shines into this world, and sometimes that light isn't very clear. Uh, sometimes we struggle with the past, the things that we've dealt with, and I think you would look at the same way, the ways that we've sinned against you, the way we've committed treason against you, the king, the way that we've disobeyed you and been selfish. You didn't let that stop a relationship with us, but instead you pursued us, and instead you gave everything so that that could be mended. Help us to have that kind of love for the people of this world. Help us to have fresh eyes and have no memory of the past that we can step into new situations in a way that we can see people the way that you see them, we don't see all their flaws. We don't see all the past. We, instead, we see a soul that needs to hear who you are. We ask this in your name.